fueled by the outdoors your source for hunting fishing archery and all things outdoors brought to you by the elite outdoors welcome to fueled by the outdoors we're your hosts rick case and chris leppert what's up guys and today we are joined by an extremely special guest um you know him uh from chasing giants chasing giants <laughs> um we're joined by mr don higgins today and um i don't know about you chris but i couldn't be like more excited to actually do this one. Oh yeah so thanks for coming don don thanks for You're coming welcome. on with us today yeah thanks for having me all right well uh i i think kind of uh how we normally start our podcast are uh, whenever we have a guest on here is we like to get uh, a little bit of background of their hunting history their life in the outdoors and just kind of them as an individual. So, I mean, could you start and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, just, you know, outdoor history and, you know, a little bit about you. Well, I've been crazy about the outdoors uh, since I was a little kid. I mean, a little kid and uh, you know, anything there was a season for, I was hunting, fishing, trapping, whatever. And then when I was 16 years old, I shot my first deer. And uh, when that happened, my whole world changed. Um, I just slowly give up all other outdoor interests mm -hmm. and focused on deer hunting. By the time I was about 20 years old, um, I'd given up everything, even gun hunting for deer, to solely uh, um, focus on hunting with a bow. And, and I also have been basically a trophy hunter from day one. Mm -hmm. uh, at the very beginning, you know, I would shoot any deer that came along but that only lasted for a couple seasons till I shot a deer and then I wanted to shoot bucks that had at least eight points and it just progressed from there to where it's at today um I, I guess that's pretty much my my hunting history in a nutshell from the beginning I mean I started riding for North American Whitetail uh 25 years ago oh, wow. um, this coming year I've written two books, um, started a company, Real World Wildlife Products. Uh, we're getting ready to start our 13th year in business. It's a food plot seed and deer nutrition company. Okay. Um, started the Chasing Giants podcast about a year, a little over a year ago, and then uh, started a YouTube channel this past summer. So if it's got anything to do with chasing big deer, I'm involved in it somehow. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. So you can kind of, kind of relate a little bit. Uh, we're kind of in, in our infancy as well. Um, we started our YouTube channel, uh, less than a year ago and our podcast was started. What was it, Rick, about late winter? I like say. the second week of the app of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It shows a great time. <laughs> yeah. Real we had all these at home listen to you. <laughs> We had all these grand plans of getting together for all of these, and now we're uh, here. We are so. Which brings me to one of my points. You, um, I, I just finished watching the story of Mel a couple of days ago. Which congratulations, by the way. Um, Thank you. Congrats. You, Thank you. Uh, you suffered from COVID. Yeah, I had it. My, me and my wife and my daughter all had it. Um, I had it probably a little bit worse than they did. But uh, I've been a lot sicker in my life than what I was. Really? But what it did was it just drained my energy. I mean, okay. and it also took my lungs away, you know, so I, I couldn't walk that far without being out of breath. Yeah. Um, just tired all the time. Uh, I, I could sleep 
12, 14 hours a day when I had it. Wow. And, uh, so it, it took me at least three weeks to to get halfway back to normal or close to normal. And no, I'm about back to normal now. So glad okay. to hear it. Glad to hear it. Good deal. Thanks. So moving on to our next topic, um, I, I kind of, I have some things pegged in my mind, but I just want to let you, you answer yourself here. Um, when it comes to calling deer, what, what are your thoughts on calling deer? Do you have some favorite calls, tactics, anything like that? Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm probably going to offend you every question that I answer. You, you but... <laughs> won't, because I think we're cut <laughs> from the same cloth. <laughs> um, I, I believe that when you're using calls for every mature buck you call in, you're going to spook at least 20. So okay. the only time that I will call is if I have a target buck that I see and he he's not going to come past my stand as a last-ditch effort. I will pull the grunt call out and, and grunt and see if I can get him to come closer. But that's the only time I call. I'd never blind call. Um, I don't even, most of the grunt calls on the market anymore are junk. The, the grunt call that I use and I like is a uh, old night and hail. It's probably 25 years old. One of the first ones ever came out. Wow. And the sound of it, I think is the best sound of any of them that I've, I've heard. Um, but you know, I, I might blow on that thing a couple times a year, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I actually probably use it more when I'm taking other hunters, and uh, you know, a, a buck that they would shoot is, is out of range trying to bring it in. Okay. Um, I mean, I just don't see enough of the bucks that that I want to shoot to pull it out much. And usually, when I do see them, they're close. So yeah, I true. Uh, I just think a call, it's, it's kind of like sense. Um, when you start talking about bucks that are five and a half years and older, you know, they're a pretty wise critter anyway. And, and they, they know their surroundings. They know the game and they're already on high alert, you know, almost mm-hmm. hyper alert. And when you use a grunt call or a rattling antlers or sense or something like that, you just heighten that, that buck's senses. And then he's searching. I mean, he's already very aware, but then he starts searching. He, he wants to find the source. And uh, I believe a lot of times you don't even see those bucks that you spook. It's almost like uh, when you blow on the grunt call or, or bang the rattling antlers, you might as well just take a trumpet out with you and start blowing on it and telling all the deer, here I am, here I am, stay away. Yeah, uh, That's kind of my opinion of, of calling. Okay. That's uh. I'm one for one. Um, <laughs> I, I've been preaching this to people for a little while now because um, I, I've, I've, you know, I'm, I'm not putting myself on your level by any means, but it just seems like when you deal with a mature animal, especially when you get to that five and a half, six and a half plus, they're just, it, it's almost like they're mentally superior than the other animals that's the reason why the other animals never survived in the first place Mm -hmm. and they're so smart they bed strategically they they do all these things with thought and purpose and uh when it comes to calling like you said you're you are putting them on alert so even if they don't have a trigger set off immediately which i do think that your older bucks 
generally are like, oh, what just happened? What's Who is that over there? I've been shot four times like this or shot at three times this year or whatever. Um, you know, what's going on? So uh, I, I talk a lot about this with people and uh, I, it's so crazy to hear somebody else say uh, the same line, um, which is generally the bucks that you spook, you never even know you spooked them. You mm-hmm. never knew he was there. And and yep. that is like the gospel that is, that is written down somewhere. So um, moving on to our next topic, which is along the same lines, I kind of added this one in here on you, but it's not going to throw you. How, how powerful do you think a deer's nose is? Well, I have no doubt that a buck can pick up a doe and heat from over a mile away. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into it. You know, the humidity, when it's dry, they can't mm-hmm. smell as well. The pressure. Uh, then when it's damp, um, you know, your thermals. I, I hear a lot of guys saying, well, that deer was straight downwind of me. And didn't <laughs> smell me. Well, that's because the thermals were carrying your scent right over the top of that deer. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it was going towards him. It just wasn't dropping down to his level. Yep. Um, so how far they can smell, there's just a lot of factors. Wind velocity. Um, wind velocity is another thing, you know, the, in a steady breeze, at say five to 10 miles an hour. Uh, it's carrying your scent, you know, steadily in one direction. Um, when it's really still, your, your scent just kind of drifts here and there. So there's a lot of factors. It's hard to really give a straight answer on that question. Gotcha. Um, do you prefer, a a stiffer breeze as opposed to a light and variable? I do for sure. Yeah. Something about the, around the 10 mile an hour. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of advantages breeze. besides your scent, you know, it, it moves the tree branches and there's yes. just movement going on mm-hmm. so that you're not the only thing moving whenever you decide to get in position for the shot, draw your bow or whatever. There's <laughs> movement going on all around that deer and it's a lot harder for him to catch it. I'm glad yes. you said that. I'm, I'm I'm real happy that you said that because I, I I think too often people worry so much about um well if it's blowing above this I don't want to be doing this right but you know movement in the woods is gonna you know obviously put the deer on alert anyways but you're not gonna be the only thing moving in the woods at that there there's other things that help camouflage you. Um, in terms of being able to draw your bow back and that deer not, you know, staring at you in the tree and picking you out, uh, you know, like it's your Christmas light or something. Right. What are some things that you do for scent control? Uh, You're going to find this one hard to believe, too. (laughs) (laughs) I I do one thing for scent control. I watch the wind. And uh, just to prove how serious or how much I think that a lot of these products are overrated. Um, this year, before hunting season, I did not even wash my hunting clothes. Not I don't really. use sprays. I don't use special soaps. It's like when I, you know, 25 years ago or so, I did everything you could possibly do. I had to send elimination clothing. I took a shower before the hunt. I even took the chlorophyll tablets, you know, to eliminate your body. Yeah. Odor. Yeah. Um, I carried a bottle around to pee in, and you name it. I did everything I could to keep my scent down. And I still got 
winded. When the deer got downwind of me, they still smelled me. And I decided this is a bunch of garbage. I mean, you're, it was almost ruining the fun. You had to go through so many scent control measures before you went hunting. It almost took the fun out of it. Agreed. And I just took my, uh, the playing the wind. I, I just really took that to another level and, uh, figured out how to hunt these bucks without, without them getting downwind of me. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, a lot of times you're walking a really fine line that, the Joey buck I just shot uh, last week mm-hmm. is a good example. Um, as that buck's at least seven and a half years old, at least that I know of from, from previous sheds and such, um, 185 inch. And he came, he was coming. I, I and it, it, the hunt worked out perfect, exactly as I envisioned it. And, uh, he was coming and he was going to win me, but, I knew that he was going to turn right before he hit my scent. It was a Southeast wind. And if that wind would have been just a little more out of the South, he would have got me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he, it was a fine line between him winded me and not. And uh, so he had to win basically at his advantage and he just turned. He was, he had, he was going with a wind quartering to his nose. And then he turned with the wind straight in his nose to go up a, a wooded draw. And when he did that, you know, that kept him from hitting my wind. And it wouldn't have mattered if, if, if he would have winded me, I don't think it would have mattered under the conditions. You know, it was really damp. It just been raining. It was, you know, you could almost see a fog in the air and, uh, just a light breeze. It was just perfect conditions for a deer to sing. But, uh, I don't think it would have mattered if I'd have been in there and sitting there with anything any of these gadgets that they come out with for eliminating scent, that buck would have smelled me. He was going to hit my scent at about 30 yards and mm-hmm. he was going to smell me. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of these gadgets are nothing but trying to make up for lack of hunting skill. And, uh, you know, I used them all in the past, like I said, but when I realized that what was holding me back was not some gadget I hadn't bought yet, but it was my own hunting skill. And I spent my effort trying to sharpen my own hunting skills instead of trying to buy a shortcut. That's when my success started picking up. So you feel, I mean, you're, you're, you're really of the opinion there that uh, woodsmanship and understanding the animal itself and allowing yourself to set yourself up correctly is the be- one of the best tools that you can possibly use on your hunt. Oh, absolutely. No doubt about it. There's no, there's too many deer hunters that are looking for a shortcut. They're mm-hmm. looking for that magic trinket or gadget that's going to all of a sudden bring the big bucks in. And they, they also think that the guys that are consistently killing the giants have some secret trick. And, and there's no secret. It's just a lot of little things coming together. Woodsmanship mm-hmm. skills, as you mentioned. Um, and, and you just can't buy it. It's you either got it or you don't. Mm-hmm. Yep. And for a long time, I didn't have it. And I, I just, I, I, I realized what my shortcoming was and I, I didn't look for a, something I could buy to make up for it. I just sharpened my knowledge and my skills. Um, and, and slowly my success climbed. I think, uh, you bring up an interesting point. I've, I've talked a little bit about this before with people, but generally it pertains to sports and more importantly, archery 
me and uh, one of our team members compete nationally in the IBO. And people, you know, you, you talked about people thinking that there's some kind of secret. And we had been as, you know, people would go as far as accuse us of cheating for winning. And um, I always told people that when whenever you see somebody that keeps succeeding, especially at a high level, it it's not really that they have something special that you don't. It's just that they work hard and do a bunch of little things. It's always the little things that mm-hmm. add up every single time. I don't care who it is or what they're doing. Lots of little things add up into something big. It's amazing. I mean, we, we, we talked about this previously. Um, I, you know, I shot and missed like I, the biggest deer of my life this year, just flat out shot right under his belly. And, uh, I didn't do the little things like I've, I've played the video over my head. I've got the video and I flat out did not do the little things correct. And that, that makes all the difference when you're dealing with a mature deer. And uh, I don't think I'll ever see that deer again, but you know, the reality, (laughs) the reality of it is, is that uh, I think that we're all on the same page, um, especially with what you're saying, Don there's just basic skills and things that you can do at a rudimentary level and doing them well, that can lead to success in the field. Well, we, we now live in a, uh, instant society, you know, we want everything instantly. Um, kids graduate from college and they think they need to be the CEO of the company and they need to be making what the CEO makes just because they got a degree. They they don't want to work their way up and, there's no substitute for experience. Nope. I don't care how good you are at 30 years old. You're going to be better when you're 50. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And as a, as a deer hunter. And there's a lot of 30-year-old, and I don't know how old you guys are, so I, don't, I hope I'm not offending you, but there's a no. whole lot of 20-somethings <laughs> and 30-somethings that think that they should be killing big deer like a guy that's in his 50s at the same rate, and they just don't have the experience. And that's... No. You know, when I see something in the woods, I've probably seen it before. It's not a first time. Mm-hmm, sure. And a lot of these younger guys, it might be a first time for them, and they may need to fail a time or two before they put all the pieces together, and then they can succeed every time that situation comes along again. Successful. But they just lack the experience, and uh, they're trying to jump three or four generations ahead, or not generations, but decades mm-hmm. ahead and do what their grandfather's doing. Well, and yeah. I'm a firm believer that, you know, every time that you fail at something, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna learn more from that experience and, you know, that success, I mean, cause you can replay it over cause you're gonna, you're gonna dwell on it. You're gonna look for it, why it didn't work, how it didn't work. Um, and then you're gonna go and you're gonna try to make it so that doesn't happen again, because you don't want that feeling like, like nobody, nobody that I know at least enjoys that feeling of failure or anything like that. I think it's something that we all strive to, uh, especially, you know, out in the hunting woods, it, it, it's the last thing that you want to do. Yeah, for sure. And I can't even remember the last time that I had a target buck come in that I didn't kill him. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean just get a shot. I mean, kill him and find him and put my tag on him. Yeah. And that wasn't the case when I was in my thirties. I had a lot of bucks that I wanted to kill come in and they got away from me without me ever touching a hair. Mm-hmm. And I failed enough that I became successful. 
That makes sense. Failure Absolutely. drives. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about your archery setup. Um, what kind of bow you shoot, uh, all your specs and all that. I'm sure plenty of people want to hear that. Well, I've been a big Matthews guy for 20 some years. Um, in fact, start with the Outback. I, I don't even remember which one I started with. I no, it was before that. Um, Probably the Q2. I don't even remember what the first one was I had. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I still shoot Matt. In fact, from the first time I got a Matthews, I've not shot a single arrow through any other bow. Really? In in twenty five years, and uh, they've just been good to me. I mean, they believed in me when I was just starting out as an outdoor rider, and uh, and put me on their pro staff, and, and then. Uh, I shot a, a 214 inch deer in 2004 and uh, they took me to a paid pro staff position and, you know, they send me a bow every year and I, I've just been so good to me, but what I really love about them is what they do with their money. You know, they, they support Christian missionaries all over the world. Um, they've got oh, cool. a lot of humanitarian um efforts that they support with their profits oh wow I was on and i think if uh, if people knew what matthews really was about behind the scenes they probably wouldn't buy any other brand of bow um so i i shoot nothing but a matthews i have no intention for the rest of my life ever shooting anything but a matthews my site you've probably never heard of it it's called an eradicator site uh they went out of business probably 10 to 15 years ago um it's like a rifle sight almost that you you bolt it to the side of your bow it's got a front uh bead and it's got the two on the back and you line them up so you got three in a row really um, wow. and i've been using that for it, it my setup is very very simple i use a whisker biscuit rest okay um don't believe in the dropaways that's just something to go wrong in the field um i absolutely despise mechanical broadheads Things okay. ought to be outlawed. Um, <laughs> that's how bad they are. They, there's more deer wounded with them things um, and lost than with anything else. And literally, they should be outlawed, in my opinion. <laughs> um, I'm what not kind of broadhead shoot? <laughs> <laughs> um, my arrows, I, I, I use um, Easton Full Metal Jacket FMJs. Okay. Um, what broadhead do you shoot? Slick Trick Magnum. Slick Trick. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like their. Uh... What was it? The I gotta make sure I don't screw this up. I like their Viper tricks. I don't know if they still make those or not. Is that the one that had the real sharp angle on the blades? It, it was. Uh, it looked like a cut-on contact sort of okay. hybrid type yeah. deal, but it there they were nasty. Mm -hmm. They'd zip through a deer. They've got a couple of models. And I'm not sure what they are that I really don't care for. I think the blades are at too steep of an angle. But okay. uh, the Magnums, you know, I remember that with the days when 125 grain broadhead was the lightest you could find. Most guys were shooting 150, 185 grain. And today, the, about the heaviest you can find is a, is a 125 for, for most yeah. of them. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm kind of stuck in my old-fashioned ways, I guess. And <laughs> I... I use the 125 grain because it's the biggest one they make. I use it, the cutting diameter is like an inch and an eighth. I yeah. wish it was an inch and a quarter, um, but <laughs> it is what it is. So. Oh, yeah. I, I've never shot a single arrow through a chronograph. 
and never intend to. I've never shot a single expandable broadhead. And I had a guy tell me one time, well, how do you know they're junk? If you've never shot a deer with one, I said, I've never shot a deer with a field point either. And I ain't about to. <laughs> so that was my response to him. Yeah. I, um, so what are your thoughts on, do, do you feel like it's mechanical broadhead failure or do you think that it's more of what you kind of were hitting on before where people were trying to sort of buy success? Well, uh, people buy into every little trinket and gadget that comes along. Me- mechanical broadheads, the thing that they, uh, I- I've got two really big issues with them. One, it- it's just a chance that you don't need to take. There's a chance of failure on that broadhead opening up correctly that you just do not need to take. There's broadheads that there's zero chance they're going to fail. Why take, why use one that could? Mm-hmm. And then a good broadhead, you can hit a deer in the shoulder or whatever and you're still going to kill him. I've, I've shot more than one big mature buck right through the shoulder, and I didn't get a complete pass through, but I put enough my arrow completely through that animal's chest and hit the offside shoulder, and he didn't go far. And I and more than once I've done that. You hit a, a deer in the shoulder with a mechanical, and all you've done is wound that deer. I yeah. think we owe it to the animal to kill him as quickly and as humanely as possible. And, and a expandable broadhead or mechanical broadhead just does not do that and i would rather have a one inch hole all the way through that deer than a two inch hole halfway through it it, it leaves a better blood trail it kills that deer quicker and uh i I just think that uh, they're inhumane gotcha okay how often do you shoot your bow um not a lot uh I I just said that Matthew you know sends me a new bow every year, but the bow that I used for like the last ten years or so was the Z9. I don't remember when the Z9 came out. <laughs> um, same year as the Z7. Yeah. Um, it's probably been ten years. I went to Alaska in 2012 and I took it there, and I was shooting it before that. So I find something that works and I stick with it. I'm not one of these guys that's always got to be tinkering with my bow. I get it sighted in, I get shooting it good, and I leave it alone, and I stick with it. Mm-hmm. I hate switching equipment. It's just yeah. more stuff to learn. It's just a chance for failure. You, when the, the moment of truth comes, you go into autopilot. And if you're switching up your archery gear all the time, there is no autopilot. You're sitting there thinking about what you got to do. It should yeah. just be instinctive. You should just be pulling up and shooting. Yep. I agree. Um, all right. So... My my favorite, um, two of my favorite sort of beliefs that you have here that I wanted to talk about and uh, have you explain to everybody. Give me your thoughts on hunting during the morning, especially early season, late season, not November, basically. Well, until this season when I was hunting Mel and I had a cameraman staying here that didn't live, you know, close. Um, I hunted a few mornings this year in, in October because I had the cameraman here and I wanted to maximize his time. Mm-hmm. Sure. Even then, there was only certain stands I would even attempt it. I think that morning hunting in both the late season and the early season, most of the time, those mature bucks are back to their beds before daylight. Okay. And you do more harm to your chances of killing them by hunting mornings than you do by just sitting out the mornings hunting afternoons only 
Now the rut's a whole different game. I would much rather hunt the morning in November than I would the evening in November. I but agree. the rest of the year, the early season, late season, forget the mornings. I'll sleep in every time and uh, hunt every evening I can. Okay. I always tell my bo- uh, my buddies, excuse me, uh, mornings are for does. If you want to go kill a doe somewhere on public or something, yep. go do that. <laughs> well, on my YouTube channel, I got a, a video about playing the wind. Yes. And in it, I talk about why I don't hunt mornings an experience I had, you know, years ago where it rained all night on my and, and quit about daylight. And on my evening hunt, I came across this box tracks in the mud along a field edge. And I knew those tracks had to have been made that morning, uh, right about the time the rain quit, right about daylight. And when I followed those tracks to see what that buck did and, and compared it w- with what I knew the wind direction was that morning, I recognized immediately that there was nowhere I could have been along that buck's travel route and killed him because he would have winded me. Um, so, you know, they're going into their beds and they're checking their beds, but they don't just waltz in and plop down in the woods. You know, usually they'll, they'll hit the downwind edge of wherever they're going to bed and then they'll J hook back into it. Mm-hmm. So they, they run that downwind edge and sit check that it's safe to go in there. Then they come back and then they bend down and most of the time, there's nowhere you could have been set up where you would have killed him. He would have, he would have found you. He would have smelled you. Oh, yeah. That was actually my other. I was going to say, uh, that's your other question, wasn't it? Yeah. But, well, <laughs> not so much my other question is what sort of drew me to following what Don uh, preaches and, you know, this deer hunting crazy life we lead. Um, that I, you know, a lot of stuff, a lot of my beliefs he's talking about, and it's it's nice to hear this but this is actually one that just melted my mind. And uh, I talked to you guys about this actually, where Mm -hmm. you basically can't expect a buck to commit suicide. And all these people think, and and myself included, you're playing the wind and you've got the wind in your face and all everything's great. And then you wonder why have I not seen this guy? Well, Mm -hmm. the wind is not in his favor at all so why would he why would he come in there you know right um that's it just when when you did that 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 is this year that i heard that and i've hunted differently this year and you know i'm i'm still sitting on a tag but i've um i've passed the biggest deer i've ever passed in my life i'm kind of in a sort of male situation if you will Mm -hmm. (laughs) i i hope to god that this deer's three because if he's two I'm right next to a highway on a four acre par. So I, I, I'm lighting candles for this deer every day. Yeah. <laughs> I, I passed him yesterday in a snowstorm. So uh, at about 40 yards with a gun, but um, he's, he's a three-year-old. Hopefully he's a mainframe 12. That's um, I've got him at 152, and I think I scored him pretty conservatively. I've had people score him as high as 64. But he, I mean, he's a gorgeous deer regardless. Uh, mm-hmm. He got me excited yesterday. I threw my safety off when he came in and I was like, oh, no, there's way too many times on him. I know who that is. So, but um, yeah, that's, that's one of the things that I've really enjoyed learning a little bit from you and your videos is talking about playing the wind. Um, do you ever hunt? Uh, what, let's talk a little bit um, about parcel size. What, 
what types of parcels are you hunting? Are you hunting like 10 acre tracks, hundred acre tracks, thousand acre tracks? Uh, I'm hunting everything from where I just shot uh, the Joey buck last week, the 185 inch buck I was talking about earlier. Is that, that on YouTube yet? Uh, no, it's not. Okay. It will be. Okay. Okay. Um, that buck on that entire property, there's probably uh, maybe four acres of total cover on the whole farm. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and then, you know, my home farm is 120 acres, but, uh, probably only about, uh, that 120, there's probably only about 60 or 70 that's cover. Um, I hunt public land where it's thousands of acres. Mm -hmm. How have you done on public? Well, to be honest, I can't find a, a big enough buck on public to, to justify spending a lot of time there. Okay. Um, okay. You know, in Illinois where I'm at, we're limited to two bucks. And, you know, this year I shot a 220 and a 185. Wow. <laughs> I, I can go to public and I can find 150 inch bucks and, and I know I could kill them. But why in the world would I, I chase a 150 inch buck on public land when I got giants to chase on private? Mm-hmm. Now, sure. that doesn't mean that I'm not going to stop looking. In fact, right now I've got, uh, trail about a dozen trail cameras out on public land in two different states i'm one of my goals on my bucket list is to kill a giant on public but the hard thing is finding a giant on public sure absolutely Uh, and i'm not going to waste my time sitting in a tree unless i know for certain there's one alive you know close by sure so uh i'm on the search for a big one but when when you're finding these bucks especially on public is this summer scouting and glassing or are you using cameras or doing a little both or uh, mainly from cameras but also i've got a very good friend that uh well joe johnson who i named the joey buck after and i don't know if you heard that story yet but not yet he had three sets of sheds off of that buck and, and joe just lives to hunt for shed antlers so you know he covers you know he'll cover 10 miles a day for the entire late winter and spring uh, looking for sheds and when he finds good ones he doesn't care about hunting them bucks so what's he do he tells me about them <laughs> exactly where he found them oh, and man. uh so the joey buck that i just killed he found the first set of sheds three years ago and I, it was a mature deer then and i figured he was at least four mm-hmm. and then the next year he found the set off of him again and then the following which then last spring he found one side he didn't find them both and uh you know he's and he didn't find them all in the same spot He's telling me where he's finding these sheds and I'm putting pieces of the puzzle together and, and ended up killing the deer. But so uh, he spends a lot of time on public land looking for shed antlers too. And I'm just waiting for the day when he comes up with a giant set on, on public and then I'll go after that buck. Heck yeah. That's, that is very refreshing to hear. A lot of times when you deal with people that kill this caliber of deer, you don't ever hear public land ever. Um, that's not brought up. It's always I, I would agree. gigantic well, parcels and farms and all that's that. exactly why I want to do it. You know, I'm just a normal everyday guy, no better than anybody else. And I think there's a lot of people that have the misconception that I have some giant manicured farm that's strictly managed for giant bucks. And that's the only place <laughs> I hunt and I kill them. And the, the truth of the matter is of my top five bucks 
my top five bucks average 204 inches. Only Jeez. two of those came off of my farm. The other three came off of just places where I knocked on doors and got permission. Those wow. those bucks probably never, ever ate in a food plot and, and were never, as far as I know, they were never on a piece of manicured ground. Those were real world bucks in every sense of the word. Wow. And uh, I think there's a lot of people start making assumptions based on someone's success. Uh, just like sure. you were talking about the, the tournament archery and, you know, they, they think you're cheating because you're winning. Mm-hmm. And they just can't accept that somebody's better than they are. Something. I, I agree. That you you see it. So we run this page, and there's, I think we're up to like sixteen thousand and six hundred people or something. And it started off as just something to do for fun and mm-hmm. have locally. And then it, you know, we kind of got into the marketing side of things, working with companies, and man, it it blew up. And it's not as big as a lot of the you know, mega giant ones, but, um, you see so many people that will try to bash somebody just to sort or justify why they're succeeding to make themselves feel better. It's kind of like one of those for me to feel better. I got to tear you down right. type deal. Mm-hmm. And it just, that sticks in my crawl, man. I see it all the time. You see people bash others for the size of their deer or whatever and they don't understand that well, everybody's it, situation's different it, it is and, and everyone's situation is different and and don I'm, I'm happy you said what you said about public land bucks you know i'm originally from ohio crystal lives in ohio um i live in kentucky now but you know one of the things that we we uh, at least i used to hear from a lot of people is that when you see a big deer killed in Ohio, I mean, it happens, you know, every year. Um, I mean, the guy, you know, one of my uh, wife's high school buddies killed the new record for what's potentially the new record for Kentucky this year. And the first words out of somebody's mouth was, I bet, I bet he, I bet he had a high fence or I, I bet, I bet this, or I bet that. And it's like the guy's been watching this deer for four and a half years, walk the same mile and a half track of land between two farms it's like he it's not like the guy didn't put the time in and try to find this animal and i think that there there's that and then there's individuals who believe that there's just like when they go out of state on some of these hunts that there's just big bucks around every corner and that um someone's cheating if they've if they've killed a big one and you haven't seen one yet and you know that that it 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 takes away a lot from woodsmanship it takes away a lot from the hunter themselves that they've put in time and the effort to make sure that when they do kill that big buck they've put themselves in the best possible situation and and they've probably watched that deer for multiple years on top of all of that Mm -hmm. so what are some pointers you would give to people who are trying to basically kill big Big bucks, which big buck is a relative term. You know, a big buck in Florida is different than a big buck in Ohio, Iowa, Illinois. Uh, on small, uh, excuse me, on small parcels, what would you tell people that are trying to work with those? Well, you've got to realize your limitations. You can't kill a buck that isn't there. So uh, if your goal is, say, a 170-inch buck, and and the biggest buck on the property you're hunting is 150 inch. You're never killing 170. 
and uh, it's kind of like you know now I target individual bucks. I don't for a lot of years, you know, when I was younger, my goal was a particular store. I wanted to shoot a buck at least one fifty or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now I'm looking for the bigger, biggest bucks I can find, and I'm I'm trying to target that one individual animal. Um, so when I set my stands for that one individual animal, I'm doing so knowing that 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 buck has walked past the tree. I'm putting my stand in. I, I'm not thinking to myself, okay, that deer lives in this woods. I'm going to go over here and that looks like a good tree. Hang my stand. When I hang a stand, I are, I know that buck has already walked past this tree once and the yep. odds of him doing it again are pretty good. And I don't think most deer hunters take it to that level. And if you're going to shoot the biggest buck in the woods, you, you got to be where he's going to be. And, you know, on my own property, for example, I've got several trail cameras and such and, and, I'll have 20 bucks living here in the late fall and winter. Mm -hmm. And the crazy thing is it's only 120 acres, but one buck will never show up on one particular camera on the place. His way of getting from point A to point B, the different path than another buck. Mm -hmm. So always blows my mind. Yep. And you can be on the right property, but in the wrong tree. So if you want to kill the biggest buck in the woods, you need to know that he's already walked by the tree that you're in before. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's where a lot of guys mess up. That They get in the area where the deer lives and thinks, well, my chances are as good here as anywhere. This is a great funnel. Well, you know, some bucks won't go through them tight funnels. They just don't feel safe, at least in daylight. They'd rather cut out and bust out across an open field to get from point A to to point B instead of going through that tight funnel. Mm-hmm. And uh, if that's what a buck does, he's probably, when he goes across that open field, he's probably exiting the one woods the same place every time he does it and entering the other woods the same place every time he does it. So uh, you just got to learn the, the, the habits of, a, of individual, the individual buck you're after. Okay. Great advice. Um, that is great advice. What would you what would you tell all the people that are much like me, sitting on a buck tag still, and they have, you know, some gun seasons, muzzleloader seasons, late seasons, and cold weather coming up. Well, late season's a great time to kill an individual buck on purpose. It's actually one of my favorites. But the thing you get, there's there's two things you need, actually three things you need. First of all, you need brutal cold weather. There is no such thing as a nocturnal buck when it gets down to zero. Mm-hmm. Yes, they sir. get on their feet before dark every afternoon and they're eating. So the second thing you need is a prime food source. And uh, when you got a prime food source and you've got, and the third thing is thick undisturbed bedding cover. Okay. So you got thick undisturbed bedding cover close to a prime food source. And then you get that cold weather front. That's the recipe for, for dropping giants right and left. There's no better time. It's better than the rut. I agree. There's, I I don't like to say this because it almost seems blasphemous, but I can't stand November. November's the most chaotic thing. And, <laughs> and on top of that, when you're a guy that passes deer, they're running stupid. I've had this, this deer that I told you I sort of compared to Mel a little bit. I've had four encounters with him and three times were legit 
passing him. I, I sat on the ground one evening and passed him at eight yards. And the whole time I just want to scream, why don't you go lay down somewhere before you get hit by a car or shot by somebody or, you know, whatever. But uh, late season, I'm learning. And, and you're right, you know, you, it's the truth. You got to have brutal cold weather and people – you know, everybody's getting excited because uh, here in Ohio, we struggle, especially Southern Ohio, where I am, we struggle to find snow. Um, this is the first gun season that we've had snow since I became an adult in 2002. I was going to say, we haven't had <laughs> snow this early in December in, in a long, no, long time. No. I mean, it's basically darn near been 20 years. So, mm-hmm. um we don't get last year. I, I struggled. I, I just kept biding my time saying, you know what, late December and January, it'll get cold. And then thing, you know, all will be right with the world. It, <laughs> I got, I got about, <laughs> I got about six days where the highs were in the thirties, mid thirties, we'll call it some, a couple of them got to the low thirties. And, uh, I did have, I had two encounters in four days with my target buck, which was the best buck I had to hunt. So he, he was getting it. And I just, the first time I, I wasn't close enough and I, I could have taken the shot. I was 48 yards, but I just didn't feel comfortable. And so I held off. And then the next time one of his stupid little doe friends picked me off cause there's no cover. And again, this is, you know, this particular spot is it's a little over like four acres basically. And half of it, not even half of it is wooded. So it's, it's extremely difficult to mm-hmm. hunt, but I killed 171 inch deer two years ago off of it. So I got to stick with, it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yep. but uh, yeah, I agree. The, the late season is one to produce. Cause they just, you know, I, I don't know the exact statistics you might, but supposedly they have to get up when it's that cold. They have to get up and eat every so often to keep everything right with their body, I guess. Well, I don't know how, how often they have to eat or anything, but uh, they are going to eat. There's no doubt oh, about yeah. it. And uh, what I like about the late season is, comp- especially compared to the rut, you know, during the rut, you can be in any tree in the woods and a deer can show up from any direction. Mm-hmm. Well, during the, the late season under them conditions, you know absolutely without a doubt that this buck is going to move from point A, his bedding cover, to point B, the food, and he's going to do it in probably the last two hours of daylight. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you don't have to sit out there all day wondering which direction the next deer is coming from. <laughs> he's going from point A to point B, and he's going to do it in the last two hours of day. And, and it's, that's as simple as it gets. Yep. That is, that's funny that you mentioned that because as we get older, we kind of get a little wiser and – not having to get up in the morning in November is sure nice. Nice. <laughs> it's pretty nice. <laughs> I, I love late season for that reason too. Um, you know, I'm really, really uh, pumped to have you on here, Don. We really appreciate your time. Um, do you have any, any closing thoughts that you want to add at all? Um, yeah, I just like to encourage everybody to, uh, you know, do your own thing. If you're hunting public land and you're happy shooting does, do it. Um, you don't, 
we all don't have to shoot giant deer. I mean, and if you want to, it's a progression of steps to get there. You don't just mm-hmm. start out bow hunting, shooting giant deer. Um, enjoy the journey to get there. I mean, what I'm doing today, I've been deer hunting for 40 some years and uh, it, it didn't happen overnight. There was a time when I shot yearling bucks. Um, I've got a couple of them on the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh so, you know, enjoy the journey. Don't, don't hurry to get to the finish line. Um, there's a lot of fun along the way. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. How about yourself, Rick? I, I, I've actually got a question um, <clears throat> regarding what you'd said earlier. You write for North American whitetail still, correct? Yes. Um, as, as a writer in, in the hunting and outdoor industry, what are any tips that you can give people who would like to get involved in writing articles, uh, whether it be for online magazines, magazines that people uh, subscribe to, or are looking to kind of uh, jumpstart that um, maybe in some way uh, that you can impart some knowledge upon them uh, in anything that you've learned over the years? Well, it's a, it's a tough gig to get into. I know that uh, there's just a whole a giant army of people trying to, to get into the outdoor writing industry. Mm-hmm. You got to set yourself apart. And what people don't realize, or a lot of people don't realize is that every article, I don't care who writes it, it gets edited. Nobody is a perfect writer. And, and usually most of these magazines will have some lady, some old retired English teacher or something sitting at a desk, correcting everybody's English and and making it sound like we're smarter than we really are. So you don't have to be a fantastic writer to have stuff published. One way that you can really sell your, your, your work is through photography. Um, That's one thing that a magazine maybe can't come up with. You're trying to tell your story. They can edit that to help you, but they can't help you produce the photos you need to tell your story. Okay. So uh, good photography will sell a lot of articles. That's great to know. That's great to know. I've had people approach me about it and, um, you know, it's, it's becoming more of a thing where I know, you know, with, with YouTube, with, you know, storytelling, just in general, um, people who love to be in the outdoors love to tell stories and, um, you know, I, I can still remember, you know, being excited to get, you know, bow hunter or outdoor life or whatever magazine would come in, like tear into the articles and that kind of stuff. So, um, and everyone always had such a neat story to tell with that, but that that's, that's great information. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. That's awesome. Well, I guess we'll, uh, we'll leave you guys with a little quote, um, I stole from Don here that I'm going to tell everybody. Um, <laughs> Might be a good one. You, uh, it's it's pretty good. You you talked in again your story of Mel about how you didn't want people to judge you by the deer you shot, but by the deer that you'd passed. And that's kind of a you know that's that's something to me. Um, I'll never bash somebody for shooting a, a spike buck or a yearling buck or or whatever, but it is. I'm a firm believer in the the less you kill the more dangerous you become the more you get to watch and it you know ever since i started running cameras 
um, you kind of watch these deer grow up and it becomes personal where you, I don't want to say that you develop a relationship with the deer, but you know, part of your story hit home a little bit with him because you shoot that buck, everything's over. And uh, a couple years ago when I shot my best one, you know, I, I hit this guy was daylight walking and I mean, he just wanted to die. And <laughs> I look forward to checking that trail camera and getting those pictures and showing my buddies and talking about it. And then when it was all over, I, I sat there and I'm like, man, this sucks. I, I don't get to see that deer ever again. So, um, you know, I, I would encourage people that um, sort of aspire to kill bigger deer, but kind of run out of patience sometimes and everything to maybe pass a few and just see what it's like. And, and uh, y- you might get hooked on it. Cause I tell you what, when you pass a deer, as a yearling or a two-year-old or even especially a three-year-old and then you see him the next year especially making that three to four jump it's it'll get you going just like anything i can assure you of that it's yes. awesome so yeah. well well don we really really appreciate you brother thank you so much yes. for your time and uh i'll let rick close us out here yeah Th- thanks again don well, i really appreciate this and uh Guys, this has been Fueled by the Outdoors. We've been your hosts, Rick Cates and Chris Leppert, and we've been joined by Don Higgins this evening, and uh, we hope to hear from you soon. Talk to you all later. Bye. See you. Hey, everybody. This is Kyle Veet, host of the Ozark Podcast, a show where we sit down with outdoorsmen of the Ozark Mountains region to talk all things hunting and fishing. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts on everything from bear hunting, fishing for smallmouth and trout, and discussing big questions like what happened to all the quail in the southeast. If you're enjoying this show, then I know you'll enjoy the Ozark Podcast. You can listen to the show on all podcasting platforms and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.